June 18, 2015. It's a Watt from Pedro Show.
Photograph Show in Pedro, not with Brother Matt, not on the Pleasure Point, not in the Love Grotto. I'm at my own pad, back from tour. I think maybe the second edition since back from tour. Because I had a chance, an opportunity, great fortune to have with me via Skype from New Orleans, Rob Cambry. Thank you so much. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> Coming aboard here, Watford Pedro Show. Yeah. Uh, we were t- you didn't know that the software was from Estonia, huh? No, that, that's totally news to me. I had no idea where it had come from. Now, you know, on tour I drove through Estonia, but I didn't get to play there, which really kind of bummed me out because you know whose mother is from Estonia? Oh, geez, would it be, uh, uh, would it be maybe Jerry or Carla? Raymond Pettibone. Raymond Pettibone, really? She's Estonian. I should know that. I read, uh, Carla and, I read Carducci's uh, books. I should know that. Yeah, yeah. Accent, everything. Yeah. Carla and uh, Jerzo, they're more South Slavs. They're like Balkan. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, the old Yugoslavia, Croatia. Yeah. Uh, I should say that we start off the show off with Naima, alternate version, take one, incomplete, John Coltrane. And then we heard the Dry Bones Trio with Circle, circle Bar 3. Right. Yeah, that's sort of uh, the third section of an extended suite that took place at the Circle Bar on uh, one sweaty night many years ago, back when I had that particular group with a drummer there from Norway named Andre Lonsness and a bass player from Baton Rouge, Louisiana named Bill Hunzinger. Respect to everybody because I love it. Um, yeah. Look, let's go back, Rob. Sure. I, I mean, me and you, we met, right? I think it was Baton Rouge. Yes, it was. When I was in college, the, uh, you were actually my uh, first uh, major clubs, radio interview. If you, <laughs> if, you, if you understand the old days... Uh, and especially Baton Rouge, the clubs for the gigs were right by the school. Of Right the next block. Right by the, the school. The place mm-hmm. was called the Bayou, and it was a bitchin' pad. It ended up burning down. I mean, I still go there. Uh, there was Varsity after that, and then uh, yeah, Spanish Moon, yeah. what I do now. And uh, But there was something about the Bayou. And I oh, think the, bay- that, the Bayou I think, had a vibe. The Bayou uh, was really... I definitely had, think this was a Bayou here. gig when we first met. And you got all those bugs you brought. <laughs> first, we had a spiel like you had a table out there. Yeah, it was a trip. I get to be on the LSU campus. Yeah, we walked over from the Bayou. We uh, walked along Chine Street, then onto the campus, and went to the radio station. I was working at the radio station at the time at KLSU, and we did an interview uh, somewhere in one of my shoeboxes. I still have that interview on a cassette tape. And I believe that was the spring of 1989. So a little while ago. Oh, a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I want Rob, I want to go back even further. I want you to recall, if you can, your first musical recollection. Wow, the very first one, if I was to go back to really deep childhood. That's what I'm asking. Yeah, I I think my mother and two of my aunts took me with them when they went to see Glenn Campbell play at the LSU Assembly Center 
which weirdly was just a few hundred feet from where we did that radio interview. Yeah. And I think I was about three years old. Damn, you remember back to three. A little bit. I have vague memories of it, but it was Glenn Campbell, okay. which is kind of interesting because he's a guitar, guitar player and a very right. good one. Right, right. So, so it it did leave a, a really sort of early memory, primal kind of imprint, I think. Okay. What about records? Let's see. For what's your, records... What, yeah, what's, your fir- what's the first record you bought, Rob? The first one I maybe bought with my own money, yeah, because there were a few we had around the house that that uh, you know some of my dad's records, like yeah, what uh, were they? Bobby Darren forty five and, oh, and yeah, stuff right. like that. But I think the first one I what, bought, Mac the knife. Yeah, no, this was a uh, Lonely Road. We Lonely had Road, okay. Lonely Road. Yeah. Okay, but Bobby Darren, yeah. you know Bobby Darren. Good song, you know. And uh, but I think the first one I maybe bought with my own money might have been a, a Van Halen forty-five. I think, or it could have been uh, a Rick Springfield forty-five. It was one of those two. I think that would have been my earliest, maybe when I was twelve or something. Didn't wasn't there like they used a little thing from Jamie's crying? No, that was uh, who's that dude? He made that the record for Real Econo. Oh, wait a minute. well, I know Tone Loke. Uh, that's him. The, that's the him. That's him. Rip from James, James crying, he's crying. In, uh, in Funky Cold Medina. He used Funky, that little yeah, uh, that that's little it. tom That's roll. it. That's it. You know the boom, 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 boom. That 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 sort of cha cha tom roll. Yeah, that's right. Or cha-cha-cha. There was a, a musicologist corrected me once that actually it really is cha-cha-cha. But it's not, it's not really Eddie's brother. Right. <laughs> okay, let's, let's, let's go back to this. Sure. You mean your first record was a 45? It was like me. You, you bought singles before you bought albums. Yeah, yeah. You bought those first, and then in the 80s, you know, because I was born in 1968, so I sort of come of age in the beginning of the 80s, and the cassette had really taken off big time. So a lot of my friends, if they, you know, if they didn't have older brothers or cousins, they were buying albums on cassettes first. But if you had older cousins, oh, like but I look, did, it, but Rob, I'm thinking, albums. Rob, yeah. Rob, Rob, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. when you say cassettes, I'm thinking mixtape. Right, no, but there were in the '80s. A lot of people were buying the albums on cassette, which was a, kind of a ripoff because you know they didn't last very long. Those they're, they were cassettes. bad. T- they're bad quality. Yeah, they, really they poor wanna, quality. You know. Yeah, yeah they and, didn't want uh, to compete. So that was big then, but I. But didn't people really do wanted that. them in their cars. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And you know they get. Well, sun well what about this idea yeah. of? Uh, so, when did you find out about underground? Well, I think the first time I was aware any underground music existed in my own time period. Because that's why I'm talking about mixtapes. Is it mixtapes about your buddies giving you fucking tapes of shit that they know? Yeah. And other cats don't know because it ain't on the radio. Right. Although although You know, Maybe. You, could, you could sort of personalize, instead of being subject to the order of the album, you could make a little personalized statement with that mixtape. But I think in terms of being aware that an underground existed and that it was a real thing, I think for me it was seeing in Cream Magazine, I would see these ads for the SST stuff, and, and it would always be on the uh, sort of the, the outer edge of the page, you know? It would, uh, and so there'd be the ad. Yeah, that's where I first saw the Richard Hell. Did did you remember the Richard Hell ad? 
I vaguely remember that. I one. called him. Mm-hmm. And I got scared. I hung up. I said, no, it had a phone hell? number, right? <laughs> yeah, I called him. I said, are you hell? And he said, yeah. I, hung, I got like, scared. Oh, I couldn't believe that shit. Cause yeah, all I, so it, yeah, but it, all I knew, look, Rob, all I knew was Arena Rock. Yeah, well, me too, in my own way. And, you know, I was, for me, it was the, the Arena Rock of the early 80s when I came of age was mostly, was, was heavy metal. And I was really... Oh, you know, that's, why the, that's why the Jamie's crying. Yeah, oh, I loved it. And, you know, I still have something of a fondness for it because it's such an important part of my, you know, pre-teen and early teen years. But it also, like what you're talking about with Arena Rock, it was, it was Arena Rock also. So even though you were excited by it and, you know, me and my friends were all playing guitars and stuff, we sort of felt like unless, you know, you know like the one guy out of our group of guitar playing guys that looked good in the spandex, he was the only one that we thought actually had a shot at being in a band. The rest of us, look, you know, look, 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 let's we listen, do it. Let's listen to some more music because I don't I, I don't understand where this you playing guitar part comes in. We'll talk about that later. Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, I'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs>
I dream about you every night and day. I see in you a lesbian or a gay. Cause I love you, woman, playing soccer. I think about you, I'm a fighter, war again. Matches on struggle against sexism. I got this idea: the woman I see is a feminist, a true believer in humankind, the one that shoots behind the line. I don't know, maybe. I'm wrong. I got shit in my eyes. I'm dreaming, believing. Illusions of a naive guy.
Your coat is long. I speculate that it keeps you warm. I hope it does. A tiny seed in the right climate will germinate or not. for Pedro Show. Uh, at the beginning there, we had Kobo by uh, Rob Camry Miller Nakatani. Yeah, you could tell more about this. Oh, sure. Just with those guys, uh, Tatsu Nakatani is an amazing percussionist who's uh, from Japan. That's lived. He's lived in the United States for the last uh, 15 or 20 years, and he has his own approach to what the part? drums and thongs, and he, uh, he tours in a way that you would totally approve of. He has all of the drums and gongs in this uh, huge uh, Dodge Sprinter van. Sprinter! He, Sprinter! He cooks, he no, cooks no, no. in the van, uh, and uh, he, 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 he's found a way to tour in the most econo way possible by making all of his own meals. He uh, has a YMCA membership, so he can, he can swim and shower in every YMCA and he uh, tours the U.S. pretty frequently, playing some really far out improvised music. It's, where where it's is his amazing. home base? He uh, has a house in e- Eastern Pennsylvania, which is just about maybe about an hour out of New York City. B- by Philly? Not too close to Philly. I think uh, more north. Trying, I, I drove. I drove through it back when during the Katrina evacuation time. So I can't. My geography memory is not so good, but it's a. Uh, it, I, I might be, uh, I don't think it's in the same direction as Philly, so I think it may be on the other end. Or north, north, yeah. Yeah, it could be a bit. Okay, okay, the Sprinter van. So that's, yeah, when Dodge merged with Mercedes, they made a Sprinter kind of van. Yeah. You know, the last of fucking Econoline rode off the assembly line July 14, 2014. Oh, my God. That's uh, the yeah, end it's of over. The it's over. It's over. Wow. Anyway, uh, after your, uh, what about Mr. Miller? Donald Miller is the uh, guitarist for the notorious and amazing band Borbato Magus, who oh, have yeah. been in existence since the late 1970s. And uh, it's, it's two saxophone players and Donald playing guitar, all of them uh, amplified at crushing volume, doing the most, what it, Byron Coley calls it, balls on the line improvisation. It just, uh, it, it's like a sonic monolith. And uh, he's been working on that particular approach to music for over 30 years now and he lives in new orleans now so he's sort of my my older brother running partner and frequent playing partner bitchin bitchin then we had barbez doing um county 
Yeah, this is like old Jewish music that was found in Italy. Hmm. Yeah, wow. from a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. That is great that these cats found this and fucking got into it. Then yeah. we had windshield smasher. Somebody from uh, Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Mr. Tom with a longmoat. It said they got an extra uh, long title here. Longmont Potion Castle Remix. Black Mat Black. Black Moth Super Rainbow. Oh, yeah. Then we had Umpio from Soup Bones. Umpio, you got to get into this cat here, Rob. This cat, Oopie. his name, yeah, his name mm. Penti. He's from a town called Turku in Finland. And this dude, wow. he just did a fucking uh, eight, nine gig tour of Russia. Ended up in Sevastopol. Uh, I, I got to conk for five days in this pad. Wow. And this man... Yeah, this man is—he's a treasure. He's—he's he's a, he's a treasure. He's brilliant. Uh, after that, we had uh, a brand new from Bandidos out of Chicago, waiting. Then uh, Sakov Daze, Jajabam, Bernays Propaganda out of uh, Macedonia, Skopje. Uh, Space Pony from Ravenna, Italy, and not enough. Playing football, Seb and the Rodics from uh, Lyon, uh, France, and finally High Reeve. I think he's an England guy living in Scotland. Mm. A dead mouse in a fire bucket. And I, I got a, a double uh, a split. What do you call that? Seven inch where you each do a song. Oh, yeah, the split. Yeah. But it's weird because who would ask Watt to do two basses after he's done almost 30 years with Dose? Now, look, I yeah. want to get back to your, your, your journey. Now, yeah, I will. That's how, how did you I'm get on the fucking guitar? How did you get over on the world? <laughs> Yeah, but I'm missing Africa, I'm missing India, I'm missing China, I'm missing most of the world. Look, oh. how did you get on the guitar? Well, let's see. Uh, you know, the, 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 the music that I was listening to when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old, I was really gravitating toward, all, you know, all this heavy metal stuff. And it wasn't necessarily because I was a rebellious kid or that the, the images or any of those things appealed to me the way they did for some kids. It really, when I look back on it now... It had something to do with the sound of distorted guitars and something to do with overtones, I think, because I was just absolutely obsessed with it. And it's not dissimilar to how when I got older, I became really obsessed with free jazz saxophone players, which also uses, you know, that that sonic language those musicians use also uses overtones and distortion. So I think there's something about that that just vibrated with my DNA because I was obsessed with it. And so I would look at pictures of guitars and people playing guitars, and I had no idea how one worked uh, because, you know, the gear and everything is so accessible to people now and it's so available. But even at that point, you know, in 1983, 1984, you didn't have Guitar Center in every city and you didn't have, you know, all these websites where, where kids could learn about the gear. So... It was really just like I didn't know how it worked. I th I thought that you you uh, held your uh, hand in certain positions on the on the on the fretboard and that actually changed the sounds. I didn't realize that that corresponded to the pitches of the notes. Seriously, I really you know it was that that blind of of an approach. And so I eventually bugged my parents into getting me a guitar. And around that time, I one of my friends in high school. Uh, had been playing a little longer, and he actually could do a few things. So it's like this was a, a good friend of mine, so I could pick up some stuff from him. So that was kind of the thing. 
Um, so this started when I was, I guess, about 14 or so, you know. Yeah. And but I would say that whole time, it didn't seem like something I'd be allowed to do in public. It no, always you, felt you know, like what, what about it was going to be the hobby. Rob, you know? Rob, what about the idea of you using it as a means of expression? Right. That, I, I would say, was intuitively there all the time, but I just didn't know what to call it. Like, I'll give you an example. Um this is this just shows you how instinct plays a big part in this type of stuff. Uh, I, I guess when I first got the guitar, you know, I'm messing around on it through this amp, and and uh, one of the strings breaks. I think the G string broke, and I noticed as the G string was breaking when it hit the pickups, it was like the the detuned D string against the pickups had this really weird sound. And so before I broke the string off the bridge. I was just sort of, I kept the amplifier on and everything was still loud and turned up. But I found if I pulled on the string, you know, you would get these bizarre sounds with the detuned string and, and scraping it up against the pickups and everything. I had no idea at that point that there was like a, an entire school of playing, you know, built around playing the guitar flat and using objects on it and doing what is now called prepared guitar. You know, I didn't know anything about Fred Frith or Keith Rowe or any of these people. But just being like an intuitive kid and just being attracted to sound, you know, I, I remember messing around with this and I remember liking it enough to where I took out my cheap little General Electric cassette recorder and taped some of it. And I'm not really sure if the tape still exists anymore. It might have deteriorated by now. But I remember the moment I can remember it like it was yesterday because it was this sort of first inkling that this this instrument could be maybe used in ways other than it was originally intended, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't know what to call any of this. No, I didn't have no, a well, terminology or a framework. No, but Rob, Rob, state. Rob, you're on a journey of self-discovery. Right, right. So I think it's all valid. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it was a, it was a great moment because you know there's not many moments you have like that from your you know early teen years that you can really remember specifically like you, you know you really have a, a clear specific recall and that was one because it was just it was a sense of just Rob like, I can just, I can Rob I can testify on that matter <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean it's uh yeah so that that was really something and. You, want, you know, we're getting, get, Rob, we're getting at mm -hmm. the end of the first hour. And sure. You, now, what I want to get at when we come back is what about playing with other dudes? So think mm. about that. Yes. Because uh, uh, you, you have yet to give me a solo piece of music. You always give me uh, ensembles you play with. Right. So I think that was an, an important element of your, uh, you know, using music as a, a means of expression. Yes, and connection to others, too, is part of it, yes. Right, right, right. So, uh, good people, we're at the end of the first hour of the June 18th, 2015 edition of the Waffle Pedro Show. Hold tight for hour two. June 18th, 2015, it's the second hour of the Watt from Pedro Show.
from yeah. Pedro Show. Start off the second hour with the Dry Bones Trio doing Circle Bar 4. Then Can from Germany doing 19th Century Man. Yeah. Boris out of uh, Japan doing Quicksilver. Orion Canyon from Insect Surfers. Now, this is U.S., but this man used to be a D.C. guy. Now he's uh, SoCal. He's great. He's beautiful. And then ta- something brand new from Tom Wimberly Klein. Hmm. And that Klein means nails, right? This is like two, <laughs> gu- two, two guitars. No, no, it's a guitar, a keyboard, and drum trio. And this tune is called Thinker's Mix. And finally, out of Olympia, Washington... Light and Grace. Rob Cambry, my guest. Yes, uh, sir. We, we, we just left the part where you fucking find guitar as a source of you being able to express yourself. And now maybe we could talk about you playing with others. Yeah, that's that's always the next big step, I think. And, and you know, like the whole time in high school, you know, with my friends, you know, we all had these aspirations to play metal but like i said the uh, you know the only the guy who still looked good who was skinny enough to look good in the spandex was really going to get to play in one of those bands so it wasn't until a few years after that that i uh you know at the bayou who the the club we talked about earlier uh meat puppets were coming through on a tour and some friends of mine that i had met in college took me to the gig and it was a real epiphany it really opened me up because uh they were playing this amazing, adventurous rock music, but they didn't have to do any of the uh, meet any of the arena standards, whether it had to do with the clothing or the showmanship or anything. And it felt real and connected, and it felt like something that maybe wasn't so hard to grasp or make a make a version of one's own. And that was the gig that really made me think I might be able to play with other people and actually eventually do gigs. That that That's the one that really made it seem to me like this was maybe within grasp. Because prior to that, it just didn't seem like something I would, I would ever do. So that was big. And uh, then over time, uh, it was a matter of just meeting you know, friends and, and some of them played instruments and we'd play together and then that would either if it didn't turn into a band eventually some of it would turn into collaborations but for me it was always about connecting with the right drummer drummers are so important i think and i i really needed a good drummer in order to give me the uh, to help me get over my fear of getting in front of people and playing and so when the right drummers started coming into my life rob they, i don't uh, blame you because good drummers fucking happening can we hear some more beats you know, it's it's really something. It's can, like I, can I bring some more beats? Yeah. <laughs>
Jump on that concord and hang out at the Shack Noah. 
second hour music start off with rough seven preacher by day rough seven tell me well that band uh is still going i was asked to join that band in 2009 so that's been going for more than five years now and it's uh led by ryan scully it's his songs and he's also in another band that's kind of well known around the u.s called the morning 40 federation and uh, this was an outlet for some songs of his that didn't gel as well with the 40s. So he had a whole other set of songs that were coming more out of his personal experiences and and had a, a, a bit of more of an opening up edge. He wanted a band that could really pop these songs open wide and take them some places. And so that band is still going. We take long breaks from time to time because Skelly's got three kids and he's a, he's a school teacher by day. But uh, we just did one Monday night, so that's still like an ongoing concern, that band. And I really love it. It's really fun playing with those guys. To tie back to the drummer thing, it's a band with a great drummer. Uh, his name's Michael Andropont. He's Cajun. He's from Eunice, Louisiana. So uh, by having him as our anchor, a lot of things can happen in that band, and I still really enjoy it. It's the closest thing I've ever done to like a, a traditional rock and roll band and i really and it's a it's a great thing to get to do from time to time okay then we heard uh, surfer blood with the uh, grand inquisitor ben lee i am what i am i think popeye fucking wrote the <laughs> first version of that too then uh that i oh, know chat nor i think it means black cat panorama city wrong side time congelier from san pedro but originally Tarns. And finally, Can Can Heads from Finland doing Hurrying Kids to Hell. Okay. <laughs> you you want to fucking use guitar as expression, but you also want to connect with other people. Yes. Because you, yes. you, what, you respect the traditions, you like the feels, you like the fucking idea of the springboard, the fucking launch pad. I would say all of those things, those are all really key to it because uh, I was always drawn to doing somewhat radical music, but even radical music comes out of a tradition and a lineage and particularly dealing with improvising. It's like we have, you know, we're really on the shoulders of all these giants and, and, you know, not just the famous ones that we know of like Ornett Coleman and Sean Coltrane, but there's others that get to be well known who kept doing on into their older years, people like Kid Jordan, and uh, I feel like you know, even doing so-called radical music, you, you're you're still part of a lineage. So I like that a lot. Uh, I like the connection with other people and feeding off that energy. And I think also it just it 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 helps for us to get out of our own head a little bit and bounce off someone else's ideas a bit and feel that kind of non-verbal energy connection that you can only get from playing with people. I think that's pretty important, too. Yeah, but you know what else? I know you're a player and shit, but you also are an organizer. What about this AXA? <laughs> no, come on, bring. Yeah, anxious sound, man. It's, anxious uh, sound. Oh, wow, it's been about 18 years of doing that. And that kind of came out of necessity. That, that came from 
you know, the the people that that I wanted to see playing, I had to travel to other cities to see them, and it wasn't happening in my own city that much. And so, out of the that necessity, I figured, well, you know, then it's it, it was time for me to start making it happen and making the concerts happen in New Orleans. And it, by the time I started organizing stuff, I knew a lot of a lot of the musicians in in this particular scene of music, and. It just sort of fell to me to do it. I, I, it wasn't like a big grand plan, but I, I just remember this is what this is what happened. Uh, I was friends with uh, Adam Lore, who was working for Homestead Records at the time during the last days of Homestead Records, and they had put out a William, Par- a couple of William Parker's albums. William Parker, the bass player and composer, and I met William a couple times when he had done concerts with Kid Jordan, and I met William in New York. And Thurston first, Thurston first brought me to see William. There you go. See, it was it was that, uh, it was the shitting factory on Houston, right? Mm-hmm. The old one, yeah. And so Adam, uh, one summer, uh, summer nineteen ninety seven, Adam calls me up and he says, "Well, you know, he's like William and uh, his wife Patricia are doing this duo tour, and they're kind of they're just driving through the south in the station wagon. And do you think you might be able to put something together for them in New Orleans?" So earlier that year, I'd had this grand idea of trying to do a concert series, and then I got this call, and I took it to mean, well, this is this is faded, so I need to do this. And so I, you know, got in touch with Zeitgeist Art Centers, asked them if they would let us organize something there, and we did, and we had an audience and made an evening of it, and it uh, just kind of grew from there. So after after William, I started inviting people like you know Peter Brotsman and Billy Bang, Mats Gustafsson. Uh, Fred Van Hove, it was a, a lot of the European players and a lot of the African-American players from the New York scene and some of the up-and-coming players that were coming out of Chicago. That's mostly Nels. what it was at the time. Nels was in there, too. Uh, Nels I actually met through you uh, at Tipitina's. It might have been 1995 or 96. And I knew who he was for several years before that because I was aware of him on records and so when he started playing with you, that was like a really nice surprise because I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. My two separate worlds are meeting in this <laughs> in this situation. And uh, let's see, I think I did present Nels one time back in those days. It was a, a tour he was doing with Carla where they were playing the, the Willie Nelson song cycle from Redheaded Stranger. Yeah. And uh, Nels' trio would play first and then they would play with Carla doing those songs and 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 we did that at this pad called the Ark, which was this big open warehouse space that, of course, now houses like a you know a really fancy upscale Italian restaurant, you know, because that that neighbor is gentr- gentrifying now. But yep, he was in there too. <laughs> yeah, so, but you know. uh, to, to, to end on a happy note, it's the second hour, of June eighteenth, two thousand fifteen edition of Watt Peter Show. Great guest. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Kicking like Cato. <laughs> I mean, you remember the fucking yeah, gentrified. Yeah, it's happening there. But boy, you mentioned Cato. That was one of our oh god, one of just our all time favorites here. One of the greatest characters this town ever produced. Oh man. Hold tight for our three. June eighteenth, two thousand fifteen. It's a third hour. What from Pedro Show?
the nonsense I stare Breathing stale off his sail Think tomorrow will come While today has just gone Sell our lives by the hour In the milk churning out flour For inedible bread Buying us shoes made from lead Born in the chest Happy person buys less Unnecessary shit Time to stop, time to quit
hey, you make me feel okay. You know, you make me feel all right. Hey, you know you make me feel okay. So you make me feel all right. And it seems like yesterday that we wouldn't lose our fight. But yet now, here we are. They say we just don't stand a chance. It's got for way too just Need to do it. 
Watch for Pedro Show. Start the third hour off with Dry Bones Trio doing Circle Bar 5. Part of this cycle, right? Yeah. <laughs> from, a drummer man from Norway. Good wishes to him. Yeah. We got, we got uh, Frederick Kimboom. Where did I meet him? Berlin. Hmm. Quit my job. Alligator suitcase from Atomic Sherpas. Fairlane Swain. McCurryogle. They're from uh, the state of Maine, Portland. Uh, yeah, who, who's that? Captain Neil. That dude took me around out there. He has a bad fucking boat. Yeah, respect. Um, Dark Blue Sea, the No No Horns mix from Labor Camp. Labor Camp's got the guitar man from Nip Driver. <clears throat> and John Wilkes Booth with Iraq. Fuck, I don't know where they're from. And Family Room, shapeshift in New York City now, but... That's a cat I met. He was he was the fourth man in a trio that just hires another man. What do you call that? Hmm. Wow. They like they're usually a trio, and they occasionally have the fourth member. Yeah. They bring him in as a ringer. <laughs> closer. Yeah, the ringer, the closer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Uh, Going back to this idea of you doing the gigs. Uh, yeah, it was just, you know, first out of necessity, just kind of like, you know, just how any of this stuff goes. I, I, I really felt like at that yeah, time... Yeah, but at the, bo- it, at, the, at the bottom of it, it's about people, right? Yeah, yeah, because... Because that's, it, it, that's what I'm hearing you telling me, you know? Yeah, if I just wanted to hear the music myself, I could have just saved my money and, and just bought records and gone out of town to go to the occasional concert so the the intention was not just that i wanted to see it hear it myself in my city the idea was that i i wanted to share it that's what i think the the impulse for a lot of this this comes from is that you do feel uh the need to share this energy that you're getting from something and that you don't just want to keep that to yourself if we only wanted to keep it to ourselves we wouldn't go out in public and do it i don't think you know? Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, you were tripping on what, what Van Halen and Iron Maiden. <laughs> right. To go from that to this, yeah, it, it's a weird. No, no, because you yeah. know what? No, you know about these Italian guys. Did you see me with the Sonia de Mainaio? Yeah, yeah, with uh, Stefano and Andrea. Right, yeah. right, 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 and one one eye jacks. Hmm. Uh yeah, in fact, your buddy, we cocked at your buddy's pad. Yep, over at Craig's, right good, near my good, house, that's right. Fucking good people. Yeah. Good people. Anyway, yeah, I remember doing a spiel with him for the Watt from Pedro show. And I, I asked him about his musical journey. And there was a part of it where he talked about Green Day and stuff. And then when we went to play the music, he was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but you know what? Why? That's I mean, the reality that you say on that. the dealio like, hey, is look, the dealio. There's nothing to be embarrassed about, you know? Come on. No, I know. I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm guilty of much more shameful crimes. More music. Oh, oh, oh. 
Life of Pedro Show, last music for this edition. Uh, you heard the Portugal, Japan, Have Love Will Travel. Before that was Round Eye with Streetlight B. I think they're expats. Hmm. The other guys are uh, from Japan, but these are uh, Shanghai or Beijing. But they're, they're the foreigners, they're Gaijins. Anyway, uh, Brother Steve McKay got to play with him. Oh, wow. Peasants from Boston with the aliens are trying to save us from ourselves. And the father figures out of uh, Phoenix, Arizona with I'm not in love. No volcano out of Phoenix, Arizona with the long game. And smoker unit, no, smoking unit by Revolver Flavor. I don't know where they're from. Mm -hmm. But Gigi Allen and the Jabbers with One Man Army. That started it all off, and I know he was from New Hampshire. G.G. Allen. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know what? Can I give you one word of wisdom? Maybe that might carry some weight with me. Sure. If you go on after G.G. Allen, bring your own mic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> And maybe even your own mic cables if it's a particularly hot night, huh? <laughs> no, 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 no. Let, let's get on now with uh, what kind of advice would you give somebody that was getting into music? Because look what? at your path. Because look at your own path. Yeah. How would you describe? Well, your, how would you describe your path? Well, let's see. In in my own case, it's definitely. Um, in, in the best sense, I think I completely followed my instinct and my muse and desire. Like, it, it, I mean, it can sound kind of cliched to describe it this way. I never described it this way. But one older friend, of longtime friend of mine, he, uh, he told me one time that he thought in many ways what I was doing was consistent with the sort of Joseph Campbell stuff. And I never even really thought of it that way. But it is a, it is sort of a thing of just following the thread of whatever gets you excited, you know, consequences be damned and keep going with it. Um, because in many, but you know, I couldn't have done that if there hadn't been people before me who had also done things this way, such as yourself and many of your colleagues, that was really important. This could be in a way that was still true to oneself that, you know, you didn't have to conform to fit into this particular, yeah, so what kind of advice would you tell somebody? Say for somebody to, who's trying to do it now. Well, if I was just getting, get into the, you know, this fucking racket. Yeah, yeah. There's there's that side of it, and then there's the there's the creative and artistic side of it, and the personal side of it, which is, those are the areas where all the fun is. And I'm still trying to have fun. I also want to do things that are creative and that have depth and that have intelligence, but above all, I'm trying to enjoy myself too and, and trying to impart that. Uh, so that's what I would really tell somebody who's wanting to do music is that you better really enjoy doing it. If you're doing it because you think you're going to make money or because you're going to get attention and respect or, or, or have people fawning over you, then you're, I, then I would say don't do it because this this is a tough time right now to make a living doing music. So if that's your goal, then perhaps there's something else you could be putting your time to better use doing. I think you really need to love it. You really need to love playing. You really need to love the, the results of what you're working on, whether it's in the studio or on gigs. 
and you better enjoy the process. And of course, you should try to get paid when you can and get paid fairly, but above all, if, if you're not enjoying the actual act of it, then believe me, there's plenty of other people who do, who do so give them some room. Rob, you got a place on the, the web where people can go to find out about your gigs that you put on? I don't have a website at the moment, although I'll probably try and have one up in the next couple of months. I've been getting by without one, which is kind of hilarious. But there is a, for people that are doing the social media, there is an Anxious Sound Facebook page, and I update that pretty frequently with gigs that I'm either presenting or playing, you know, here in New Orleans and when I go out of town and play gigs in other cities. So that's pretty easy to find. If you run Anxious Sound, yeah, but you, you, spell it, you spell it kind of special. Uh, for, for Anxious Sound, I spell it normally. You might be thinking of the email address. The email address dates back to when I first got email way back in the 90s. And it's basically, I think it's basically, the, it's, it's the A and then most of the consonants from Anxious Mofo with the vowels taken out. <laughs> <laughs> I always notice that. But for, that, fake, yeah. look, for fake Look, it's A-N-X-I-O-U-S. For the Facebook one, it is A-N-X-I-O-U-S and then the word sound. So it's anxious sound as two words. Yeah. Okay. People go there and find out about what Rob's putting on. So thank you so much for being aboard, please. Oh, man, thank I appreciate you, it. This is a real pleasure. I, I'm yeah. very flattered that you asked, man. My pleasure. No, no, big, big respect. It's been the June 18, 2015 edition of the Waff Peter Show. Special guest, Rob Camry. Thank you so much. Keep on keeping on, Rob. People, you keep too. your powder dry. <laughs>